Friday night, I was talking to someone who goes to a different church, and he just casually asked me, as sometimes people do, hey, what's a sermon on Sunday? I said, why people don't like Jesus? And he's like, oh, it's Christmas. What are you doing that for? And I was like, well, I guess you have a point. Why people don't like Jesus? Well, I think it's an important thing for us to consider. If we have such joy about what we believe in Jesus, if we truly believe He is this wonderful gift, then how do we explain so many people who don't believe in Jesus? So last week, we looked at John chapter 12, and we thought about the fact that many people are indeed attracted to Jesus that they want to go to Jesus, that they find something intriguing about Jesus. But this week in John chapter 12, we see a number of reasons why people have an aversion to Jesus, that something keeps them away from Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue looking at the gospel of John. We're in chapter 12. So if you don't have your Bibles or bulletins open, I encourage you to do so. John chapter 12. Verses 20 through 43. Let's hear the word of God. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it, was, that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. 
The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us the truth. And though there are quite a few times when we don't like the taste of truth, when we instinctively try to reject it, Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to receive what you say is true. To know that you are always true and you only speak truth, O oh God. Father, I pray you would use me in spite of my own sin and weakness to faithfully and truly proclaim your word and that you would give us ears to hear your word and that your spirit would work through the word and so work in us that we might live as your disciples and so bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are thinking about our aversion to Jesus, specifically truths about Jesus or truths spoken by Jesus. And I want us to think of our aversion in terms of food and tastes. We all like to eat. We're all familiar with the concept. We have our favorite foods. And I am sure that we have had the experience of trying some new and peculiar food that we were not expecting to enjoy. And so we skeptically gathered some of it on our fork or spoon and very hesitatingly brought it towards our mouth and tasted it and felt the texture of it in our mouths. And our fear was confirmed that this is yucky. And I don't like it. And I don't want to repeat that experience. It is on the bad list. We shall never eat it again. We have an aversion to it because of an unpleasant experience associated with it. Other people are free to like the food. But I shall not. We will eat what tastes good. Well, that idea is not just true with food. It is true with ideas, with commands, with principles, and we see it in our passage this morning as we read some hard-to-swallow truths associated with Jesus. 
These truths provoke a negative reaction, a kind of mental and spiritual gag reflex that makes people just want to spit them out and not think about them anymore. And so I want to identify six hard to swallow truths in our passage. And I want to do so briefly because I know there is an aversion to long sermons. And when people hear six from a preacher, they're like, oh, Lord, all day, huh? That's how long we're going to be here. So we're we're going to go fast so you don't get too nervous. First, it is sometimes hard to swallow that Jesus gladly welcomes people that we would not readily welcome. We see this in Philip's reaction when the Greeks want to see Jesus. And we could imagine all sorts of reasons why Philip went to Andrew instead of Jesus. But the most likely reason is that he wasn't sure if such foreigners would be or should be welcomed by Jesus. They were different. They had different ways of doing things. And yet Jesus welcomes them. We don't really read about it, but we know he did welcome them. And so as inclusive as we may be, And as much as we may claim to love everyone, there is always some group of people that we would be very reluctant to welcome into our church family. We can find it hard to swallow that even those people should be welcomed and encouraged to believe the good news of Jesus. So that's the first hard to swallow truth. The second One is it is hard to swallow that Jesus tells us to hate our life in this world. We read that in verse 25, that whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, you may want to just tear that out of the Bible, but Jesus says similar things in all four of the Gospels. We cannot avoid the truth that Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and follow him. He wants us to live not primarily for ourselves, but for his glory. And so as much as we may agree that we should serve others, we still prefer to live primarily for ourselves. We find it hard to swallow that our own needs and priorities should not be our primary focus. And so it's hard to swallow. Third, we find it hard to swallow that we cannot ignore Jesus. See, the crowds listening to Jesus in Jerusalem, they heard him pray to his heavenly father, and then a heavenly voice thundered from above. The crowds could not understand what was said by the voice, but they could understand something just happened. I don't know what, but something So even if they didn't believe God had spoken in that moment, they could not ignore something happened and they could not ignore that this Jesus guy did real miracles. He clearly had divine power to do these things. He could not be dismissed like he was of no consequence. And so as much as some people might want to just ignore Jesus, it is hard to look at the history of the last 2,000 years and think, yeah, there's just nothing to that whole Christianity thing. Just all these people have been wrong for that long. 
He can't simply be dismissed like that. We need to have some kind of opinion about literally the most important figure in human history. So that's the third hard to swallow truth. Fourth, we find it hard to swallow that Jesus promises to judge the world and condemn people to hell. We may really like the idea of other bad people being judged for the evil things they have done, but we do not like the idea of all people and good people being judged, and especially not me people being judged. And yet Jesus references that the time has come and is coming for the world to be judged. He is claiming the authority to judge all people in the world. And he says the ruler of this world has been cast out. He's referring to Satan, which makes us think of hell and eternal damnation. And so as much as we may know that God must judge, we usually have an aversion to the idea of Jesus sending people to hell, especially those we would look at and go, oh, but they were such good people. And so it's hard to swallow the truths about Christ's judgment. Fifth, we find it hard to swallow that Jesus is the only reliable source of truth. We see this in the light and dark language of verses 35 and 36, that Jesus is comparing himself to light. And not just any light, but the light. The light. That without him we walk in darkness. That he is the only one who can reveal truth about God and about ourselves. See, we prefer to find ourselves and search our heart and do research and then figure out what's true for ourselves. And yet Jesus says, without him, we walk in darkness and don't know where we are going. And so as much as we may find Jesus's words inspiring or wise, we naturally have an aversion to the idea that Jesus always speaks the truth and we cannot find the truth apart from the Word of God. So sixth. Sixth. We find it hard to swallow the idea that Jesus calls us to wholehearted public faith. The end of our passage tells us that some of the authorities did believe in Jesus. They just did so secretly. They wouldn't speak up in defense of Jesus because they were afraid of the Pharisees and the other people in power who strongly opposed Jesus. They feared that if they spoke up publicly, it would lead to their expulsion from the synagogue, from the religious community, that people wouldn't like them. They would be cast out just like the blind man who Jesus healed in chapter 9. Jesus is calling people to make their faith public. We don't have to be jerks about it, but we are not given permission to keep it secret. And so as much as we may find Jesus appealing, we naturally love the glory that comes from man. We naturally want people to like us more than we want to like Jesus. And so we have an aversion to this wholehearted and public faith that Jesus calls for. And so in considering these hard-to-swallow truths about Jesus, it does, it makes you wonder, why do we have such an aversion to these truths if they're true? 
Why don't we naturally accept these truths as good things? Why don't they taste good to our hearts and minds? It makes me think of my aversion to raw carrots. They're bad, okay? And when I was a kid, I had to eat baby carrots, but I considered them ranch dressing delivery devices. (laughs) That you would dip them in ranch dressing, eat all the ranch dressing in a nibble of carrots, and then dip it again, and just keep squeezing it on, and that's how baby carrots got eaten. And they're not meant to be eaten on their own because they're bitter. They're awful, okay? And I have often thought... If only the Lord God had made carrots taste like Cheetos, the world would be a better place. Why is it that healthy food doesn't taste as good as unhealthy food? Why is it that lies are more pleasing than truth to us? Why is it that these truths about Jesus don't taste good and we have to like hold our noses to swallow them? And the Bible tells us the reason is sin. And we can think of sin in any number of ways. Sin is a verb. And so to sin is to act contrary to God's law. It is to say, think, or do something wrong. But sin is also a noun, a thing that can be done. It's stealing, gossiping, jealousy. Those are sins. But it is also a corruptive power. That sin is like a stain or a poison that affects every part of us, including what we like and dislike. And all people are born with this sinful corruption so that our taste for truth is off. And we have a natural aversion to God's truth. And since this sinful corruption that we all have is evil and wrong, God rightly judges this corruption. That as a holy God, He hates that we hate truth. For some people, He changes their hearts and minds so that they believe in the truth and delight in it. But God tells us in His Word that for others, He hardens them in their sin. The Apostle John quotes the prophet Isaiah twice in our passage. And one of those quotes was our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 6, where it says, He, that is God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This tells us that sin is the reason many people have an aversion to Jesus. The aversion comes from our corruption, but also God's judgment on that corruption. And frankly, that makes us uncomfortable. You could say that's the seventh hard-to-swallow truth in this passage. That we would prefer if God would just remove everyone's aversion by making everyone love His truth. That's not what the Bible says. If it was what the Bible says, then I would tell you that. It doesn't say that. 
It says God exercises his holy judgment on some. And we may cry out, that's unfair. And I get that. But as one commentator writes, God's judicial hardening is a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. And so these passages from Isaiah tell us that God is simply letting people continue to resist his truth, to eat bad food, in a sense. He is deepening the darkness they have chosen for themselves. And if people have such an aversion to Jesus, then he is willing to let them pursue that path to darkness and death. It is a path that all people rightly deserve to follow because we are all born in sin. That we have all inherited this corruption of our sinful nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. That no one is born with a clean slate. Every child is born in corruption. Except one. And it's the one whose birth we celebrate this week. That we celebrate Jesus' birth Because he was different. That he was miraculously conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, though fully human, was born without sin because he is the eternal Son of God who took on human flesh. And throughout his life, he demonstrated that he had a taste for the truth because he obeyed God perfectly. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, we read over and over that Jesus delights to do the will of his Father. And so in verses 27 through 28, on the week that Jesus is going to die, we see his taste for the truth put to the test. Jesus hears that the Greeks are seeking a meeting with him, and he recognizes the time for his sacrificial death is drawing near. And he's like thinking out loud almost in these verses saying, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. You see, we know that Jesus is fully God, but he was also fully man. That means Jesus had an aversion to pain. He did not like physical pain. He did not like emotional pain. He suffered distress. He wasn't somehow numb because he was fully God. Like all of us, he had this aversion towards pain and he was pondering out loud. Man, I'm about to do something that's going to be really unpleasant. Awful. Is avoiding that because of my aversion worth not following the plan of redemption? Should I ask to be saved from this death? It's very similar to the question we read in the other Gospels that he asks in the garden. Father, not my will, but yours. But Jesus answers his own question. He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That Jesus' taste was put to the test and he passed the test. His taste for the truth won out. That as much as he may dread the pain he will feel, he desires more deeply to obediently fulfill the Father's plan and so bring glory to the Father. 
See, Jesus had said he understood glorifying the Father is only going to come if I die like this grain of wheat. Only by being lifted up on the cross and losing his life would he bear the fruit of salvation for God's people. It was the only way. That's a hard to swallow truth. And yet the child born at Christmas was born to give up his life for us. He could see the blessings that would come through such bitterness. And so through Christ's death, salvation is now available to all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And the Father shows mercy on sinners of all sorts by drawing people to Jesus because in His death, our sins have been fully judged and paid for. So even though many in the world have an aversion to Jesus, Paul tells us in our New Testament reading that God is still saving people today. He saved us after all. We didn't grow up with a natural aversion or a natural inclination to choose Jesus. No, God in His mercy drew us to Jesus. He changed our hearts so that we trust His life-changing power and believe His promises of eternal life. And He calls us as His disciples to trust in Christ with wholehearted faith, knowing that we are filled by the Spirit who shines light into our dark hearts, changing our spiritual taste buds. The Spirit works in us so that we desire to glorify God by denying ourselves for others. The Spirit fills us with love so that we desire to share the good news with people who are even very different from us. These truths that we used to have an aversion to become precious to us. The very flavors of life we most enjoy when the Spirit works in us. And so this Christmas, we may be gathering with friends, with family, with co-workers, and they may not share our love for Jesus. They may react to any mention of Jesus like they just tasted unpleasant food. And though God may allow them to continue in that rejection, as the Word says, we can also pray that our merciful God would send His Holy Spirit, that they would taste Christ's goodness, and so glorify Him with us. And so let us pray that the Lord would give us wholehearted public faith this Christmas season, finding delight in denying ourselves and serving others in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You that You are a good God. We thank You for sending Jesus and that He endured suffering and agony and pain and death beyond what we could imagine for us. Lord, we pray that that same Spirit that indwelled Christ would be in us, helping us to endure suffering and hardship and social shame in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Help us, O oh God, to share truths that we know can be hard to swallow, but we share them trusting that You are drawing people to Jesus. May they come, may they believe, and may our Christmas celebrations grow as the joy of Christ spreads like light spreading through a dark world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.